Salutations, listeners. You are listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And as our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast, to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are going to be talking about Mardi Gras Indian music. Um, I don't know if it's the fact that, you know, every New Year's uh, I make a gumbo. Some years are better than others. I always call it the test run gumbo uh, for actually making gumbo on Mardi Gras. And I make a homemade gumbo. And I mean, I start out with homemade roux. You know, flour and oil and a wooden spoon. You know, you put that that mess in like a crusade on the stove on low and you just keep stirring for like, you know, 30 minutes, you know, 25, 30 minutes. And you just keep on going. You cannot stop. You cannot let up. You cannot do anything. You cannot even sneeze. So, anyway, I don't know if it's the fact that I got gumbo in my veins after New Year's or, you know, that uh, I was talking with a buddy that I visited with and we got on the discussion of Mardi Gras Indians and exactly what does that mean what what's the deal about that and I was I was a little surprised to know that there's some stigmas and you know there's some stuff that folks don't really understand outside of the culture of New Orleans so that being said I thought hey what a great episode to bring in 2023 happy new year y'all then to spotlight some mardi gras indian music and let some of the the stereotypes be broken that people associate wrongly with with the whole mardi gras indian culture uh give y'all some some things uh some some knowledge drop some knowledge on that about that for y'all uh let some of the actual mardi gras indians uh, say their piece about it because there i've got some some interview clips uh that i'm going to be sharing with y'all about this and uh reading from some books and talking about some documentaries that you can watch um some dvds or blu-rays or whatever y'all do you know you do you uh, but yeah, I mean, we are approaching Mardi Gras on, well, I believe, yeah, I believe it's February 21st this year. So it's a, a February Mardi Gras, not a March Mardi Gras. So that being said, um, yeah, I want to go ahead and dive in that gumbo of, you know, pulling apart the facts versus the myths and listen to some great music that's associated with the whole Mardi Gras Indian movement and the culture behind it. So, that being said, thank you for listening. And if you don't know anything about it, there's some funkiness coming your way. Don't tune it out. Just because you don't know about it doesn't mean you might not like it. It's like gumbo. You might actually love it once you try it. So, stick around. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mardi Gras Indian music here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Well, the tradition has been going on for 
at least since the 1800s, late 1800s, black people escaped from the slave masters and the, uh, the Indians, embraced them and allowed them to live with them and learn the tradition from them and dress in feathers. And that is why we wear the feathers now because most of the people that mask right now have a history or a bloodline from back then. Well, the traditional songs, is that's just what I was taught as a kid to sing and a certain way we beat the tambourines. I try to keep that tradition going. For example, the uptown tribes normally use bass drum, but us as Seven Ward downtown Indians, we normally use tambourines. We will have a little drum, a little cowbell in, but most of the time you will hear us beat tambourines. And this is what was taught to us as early as, what, six, seven years old. So we try to keep that traditional part going. Gonna stomp some rock. 
off we heard from the second chief of the monogram hunters uh chief second chief jeremy on basically what it means to mask as an indian if you're a black man on mardi gras morning and specifically it's one of those things that it it's a culture thing that is like you have to kind of have blood in that like either your uncle or your father or your grandfather, you know what I mean, was part of that bloodline that were taken under the wings of, of the Native Americans down in New Orleans. So it's a very it, it's not the same thing. This is one of the, the, the myths I want to dispel. It is not at all 
the same thing as like the Cleveland Indians or the Washington Redskins or the Atlanta Braves or, you know, something like that, right? It's not um, making light of it. It's giving full honor and dedication to those Native Americans in that the Native Americans who took these slaves, these black slaves underneath their wing, gave them hand by hand the right to dress in feathers, taught them the canon of songs. And we're going to talk about that a little later on. But so it, it's not at all the same thing. Now, I know and I, I'm, I'm very, very well aware of the culture that we live in in the, you know, 2023, where you even say the name, you know, Indian or Indian or Native American and ears perk up right away, flags start raising up, and they're already starting to turn the color red. You know what I'm saying? This is not that sort of thing at all. So I want to dispel any of that from the get-go. That's the reason we started off with Second Chief Jeremy explaining precisely from one of the chiefs of a Mardi Gras Indian tribe of the monogram hunters talking about exactly where it comes from, what it means. You dig what I'm saying, right? Now, the song that we heard right after that was a tune called Wild Engines. And it was by none other than the Neville Brothers. That's right. Talking about Art Neville, Papa Funk, R.I.P. Charles Neville, R.I.P. Cyril Neville and Aaron Neville, who are still with us. Thank goodness. Um, but yeah, all the Neville brothers were talking about, they basically made like a roll call song called Wild Engines down in New Orleans. And they're starting to talking about all these different Mardi Gras Indian tribes. And you hear them, you know, go down the roster, starting to talk about, you know, the yellow Pocahontas. And they start talking about, the you know, the white eagles. And then they start talking about the wild magnolias. And they start talking about the wild chapatulas. Now, the wild Chapatulas have a very deep connection to the Neville brothers. And the wild Chapatulas is what we heard right after that with Meet the Boys on the Battlefront. Now, this is one of the, Meet the Boys on the Battlefront is one of the standards. It's kind of like jazz in that instance, in that there is a set of standards. There's a set of Mardi Gras Indian standard songs that every tribe sings. Doesn't matter if it's the Yellow Pocahontas. Doesn't matter if it's the you know the the Wild Magnolias, you know, or the Guardians of the Flame or the Wild Chapatulas. They all sing certain songs. So, Meet the Boys on the Battlefront is one of by the Wild Chapatulas is one of the best versions, in my opinion, of that song. Now. I told you there, there was a deep connection between the Wild Chapatulas and the Nevilles, right? So here's the deal. Big Chief Jolly, who is George Landry, he was the big chief, the head chief, if you will, of the Wild Chapatulas. And he also happened to be the uncle of all the Neville brothers. So he got all of them together and they recorded an album of some Mardi Gras Indian music and it's under the name The Wild Chapatulas. Now I'm going to read this little um, excerpt from this book 
called Musical Gumbo, The Music of New Orleans by Grace Lichtenstein and Laura Danker. And there's a little passage that I'm going to read to you here. And it says, um, by the mid-70s, 1970s, the personal and collective future of the Neville brothers looked bleak. The meters broke up, by the way. Art Neville was in the meters, probably the leader, the founding member of the, the meters, just so you know. Aaron Neville was a one-hit wonder who became a part-time longshoreman with a heroin habit. He performed occasional dates at the Club Alhambra. Charles Neville was an inmate in one of the most notorious state prisons in the country. Talking about Angola. The death of their mother, killed in 1975 by a hit-and-run driver, could have been the last straw for the Nevilles. Instead, it was the catalyst for a new beginning. According to Charles Neville, Big Chief Jolly wanted his nephews to carry on the Mardi Gras Indian tradition by making a record of traditional tunes. See, there's that, that canon, those standards I was talking about. He also reminded the brothers that their parents had always wished that they would work together as a band. So the next year, everybody came together, said Charles. They went into a studio in 1976 with the meters backing them up and put out an album on the island record label called The Wild Chapatulas, which we just heard. It did not sell a lot of copies, but it was a revelation to the Nevilles. As Cyril Neville told one writer, it was like a family reunion. To play in a band with all my brothers and my uncle too was like heaven. Whether viewed as an interpretation of Mardi Gras Indian folk tradition or as a soul funk album, The Wild Chapatulas was a remarkable testament to New Orleans' varied musical strands. There was R&B, doo-wop, reggae, and Caribbean drumming in the compositions, but a distinct Indian chant bent to the lyrics. It had a beat you could dance to it. Songs like Hey Pocky Way were also perfect for audience participation. The Nevilles were on their way. So, you can see that to some people right now, it might be blowing your mind that the Neville brothers and the meters are connected to the Mardi Gras Indian culture in New Orleans. But in fact, they are. So, that's not the only strand. And in fact, as funky as I was, they weren't the first. So, this seg next segment, we're going to be talking about just who was the first to kind of bend those musical strands into the Indian standards. But first, we're going to listen to another excerpt from Second Chief Jeremy of the Monogram Hunters on what it means to mask on Mardi Gras morning. Mardi Gras morning, when I put my suit on, it's still unexplainable what it is that exactly comes into your body and attacks your soul. But my opinion is that it is Indians that are dead and gone, the spirits from those people, 
enters your body and it causes you to react in a, in a way that you probably wouldn't act if it was just you. I've had times where I put my suit on and people say they saw a different facial expression from me, something that they didn't see. My eyes were a different shape or, or form. And I said things that didn't sound like me. And I think that is the spirits that enter my body and help me transform into a, an engine.
Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> All right. <coughs> so let's uh, start this kind of taking that apart. So we heard Second Chief Jeremy from the Monogram Hunters explain that it's almost like a spiritual thing. That when you mask on Mardi Gras and you put on your suit, it's like a supernatural event. It's almost like he said, you remember, we just heard it. It's like your facial expressions change. You say things, you do mannerisms that aren't quite you. And he believes that that is the, the Indian spirits coming through him when he dons the suit. So there is some power to the suit. And you got to understand that, you know, Mardi Gras Indians, they sew and sew and sew all year long. For that one special sacred day. Mardi Gras morning. And the next day they just start for next year's suit. And you could have pounds of easily 80, 100 pounds of feathers. On on any given suit. Rhinestones. I mean they sew and sew and sew and work so hard. And they have you know all these things because they take this so seriously. They take this culture so, so, so seriously. And that's why we heard the song New Suit by the Wild Magnolias and Bo Dallas. Now, Bo Dallas was the big chief of the Wild Magnolias. And Bo Dallas with the Wild Magnolias, was the first Mardi Gras Indian group to really kind of blend the styles of funk, R&B, you know, along with uh, the jazz aspect of, like, saxophones, improvising, like what we heard there, and keep it, everything going uh, within given a new spin to the the Mardi Gras Indian standards and creating some new tunes like New Suit, which still celebrates the culture of what they do. Um, yeah, in fact, um, let's talk a little bit about the Wild Magnolias. Um, so the origin of the Wild Magnolias is that they were one of the local tribes that masked from Mardi Gras in New Orleans and it can be they traces of the wild magnolias can be found way back to the 1950s um but in 1964 Bo Dallas became the big chief of the wild magnolias um but he had also participated in other Mardi Gras tribes such as the White Eagles and the Golden Arrows. Uh, But in the 1970s, they started uh, getting together and bending, you know, styles with songs and mixing it all up into a big gumbo. There you go. Tying it in from all before, right? Um, They had a, a single on Crescent City Records called Honda Wanda. And they performed at the very first New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival in 1970. 
along with Monk Boudreaux of the Golden Eagles Mardi Gras Indian tribe. Uh, they also had tons of stars and that have went and played with uh, or been a part of the whole Wild Magnolias sound. Uh, just a few of them, uh, besides Bo Dallas and Monk Boudreaux, was Willie T on background vocals, keyboards, and percussion. Uh, you may know Willie T better from the funk group The Gators, G-A-T-U-R-S. Uh, Snooks Eaglin, a national treasure for, for, for New Orleans music and, and, and just New Orleans culture in general. There's never another Snooks. I mean, this guy's just something special. But then we heard the that saxophone sound that I, I mentioned earlier, but Earl Turbenton Jr. related to Willie T. You know, played soprano sax, alto sax, alto clarinet, and bass clarinet. You had Alfred Uganda Roberts on the congas. Zigaboo Modalest has came through the Wild Magnolias playing drums, and he was the drummer for the meters with Art Neville, Leo Nocentelli, and George Porter Jr. Um, yeah, I mean, just tons of great, talented cats. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just something special. And they were also writing songs like New Suit, like what we just heard, along with still playing songs within the canon of the Mardi Gras Indian tribe. You know, songs like Meet the Boys on the Battlefront, Shoe Fly, Don't Bother Me, uh, My Indian Red. Uh, all these songs are um, Let's Go Get Them. There, there's like tons of these songs are known as the Mardi Gras Indian standards. Um, but then they would continue to, uh, they got so funky writing some of this stuff that still kind of channeled into their culture like new suit that we heard and smoke my peace pipe smoke it right uh it was so funky it cracked into the billboard charts at number 74 in 1974 so um this isn't you know the kind of mardi gras music that y your auntie would listen to <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what i'm saying um yeah, and then he kept pushing. He kept going. He he recorded in the eighties and nineties uh, these a lot of these same songs, providing vocals uh, for Indian songs with the Rebirth Brass Band and Kermit Ruffins and all them playing with him. Doctor John, Zachary Richard, um, all these cats. You know what I mean? And he kept pushing it, and he kept pushing. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what's wonderful about it. Uh, in fact, in 2011, Bo Dallas was even awarded the National Heritage Fellowship by the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts, um, which is the government's highest honor in folk and traditional arts. What does that say? Uh, sadly, four years later in 2015, though, Big Chief Bo Dallas passed away. Um in January 2015. But, as we heard on that last track, they're in very good hands. 
because Bo Dallas Jr. is now the big chief of the Wild Magnolias. And he is making some very important strides that echo his father, but in his own way. He's pushing, just like his father did, the limits of keeping it and blending all these styles together. Hip-hop, funk, uh, soul, all these sounds into the Mardi Gras Indian culture. So what we heard there, that last track, was My Name is Bo. And, um, yeah, he's got two great albums. One, My Name is Bo and A New Kind of Funk. And... If if you're not hip to Bo Dallas Jr. and what he's laying down, get on that immediately. You know. So I'm gonna read another quick excerpt from uh, a book called "Talking New Orleans Music." Crescent City musicians talk about their lives, their music, and their city, by Bert Feintuck and uh, Gary Sampson. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about here is their take on Mardi Gras Indians. The Mardi Gras Indians are another branch of the same tree. I mean, the Indian parade is all about, on one hand, fun and good times, but it's also about a psychological method of transformation from whatever your social conditions are. This kind of echoes back to what we heard with Second Chief Jeremy there, you know. Most of the Indians like the second-line social club members, come from the poor segments of society. But on the days of the parades, or when the Indians are practicing, or the Indians are parading, or the Indians are sewing, they've transformed their lives from poverty and second-class citizenship to something of beauty, of majesty, of power, of respect. They've transcended the confines of normal society and earthly restrictions, and they've become something completely different. That's psychological. It's visual. It's physical. And it's displayed before the entire community. So everybody sees that. You might be a janitor in everyday life, but on Second Line Sunday, you're something special. People are looking at you. People are respecting you and the way you dance and the attitude you have. You're royalty. You know, you're not an Indian on Super Sunday or Mardi Gras Day or on St. Joseph's Day. You're an Indian all year long. The mask is what you have to do to maintain that Indian status. Your day job or whatever doesn't matter. So you transform that concept of reality. Even though originally Mardi Gras Indians made their own music, at times they've had brass bands play. I've played Super Sunday with brass bands before. It was a great thing. So, as I alluded to there with Bo Dallas playing with like Rebirth, and as Second Chief Jeremy from the Monogram Hunters said that he kind of felt transformed when he masked and he put on his suit, that's further further echoes of what they said in this book so this is not just some like one one-off kook saying something or something if you're just kind of rolling your eyes and shaking your head and going like well that guy's crazy no he's not because it's truly like 
something special. It's truly like a sacred thing. To these folks, it's it's something very majestic to be part of the Mardi Gras Indian tribe. It's a cultural thing. It's something sacred. It's like for Catholics who take, you know, what is it, the bread and, and, and the wine of communion. Why do you why do you eat, you know, crackers and green and drink grape juice? Because it's something sacred to you if that's what you do. Same deal. You know, you only take those crackers and wine on on Sunday, but you're Catholic all, all year long, right? Right. Okay. So there you go. Same deal, man. So they are something special when they mask. They are something sacred, something majestic, something royal. And that's what's really cool about it is it you can you can be a janitor, but you're still an Indian, which means that you know you're cool. And on top of that, you could be a big chief one day, which means that, you know, others have to respect you, you know. And there's also different roles in, in all of these Mardi Gras Indian tribes. You're going to see there's like big chief, which is the top of the food chain, right? Then you got like second chief. You've got like spy boy, flag boy, you know, and, and, and all of these go walking together as an entourage on Mardi Gras morning. So, and they all have to have suits that reflect those roles that they are within that tribe. So, that's something to know. I mean, there's a whole dichotomy and an order of, th- th- there's a whole order to the whole thing, you know. There's a hierarchy. That's it. Yeah. So, all right. Enough talking from me. Let's get to some more awesome sounds. We got one, two, three, four great tracks coming at you. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how these four tracks relate. Because unlike other episodes of the podcast, all of these little segments kind of build off one of another. And that's what's really cool. So I've put a lot of thought into this. I certainly hope you're digging it. If you're trying to spell out stuff, don't worry about it. We got all that info on a website. Just check it out. That way you've got all the names and artist uh, names in the order in which they're played, plus the correct spellings. Because, I mean, that's the joke in the Wallens, right? Chapatulas. Can you spell it? You know? <laughs> Most folks can't spell it unless you, you know, you're hip to the culture, right? So, anyway, all you got to do is go on that website and you can find the album art so you know exactly what to order. By the way, if you're trying to look to order stuff on Amazon and places like that, they're going to they're gonna skyrocket a lot of these prices. So what you need to do is go to Louisiana Music Factory, which is an actual mom-and-pop store in New Orleans that specializes in music and culture from New Orleans. So that's louisianamusicfactory.com, and they have all your needs taken care of there. Okay? Uh, but that website for the Dr. Jazz Podcast is... Dr. Jazz Podcast, D R J A Z Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. All right, let's get back to some more Mardi Gras Indian funk.
So that was a killer set. Uh, it started with the Flaming Arrows that we mentioned before. The Flaming Arrows Mardi Gras Indian Tribe with my gang, Don't Bow Down. And the the, the connecting thread with that there is Big Chief Monk Boudreaux. And we had talked about how he was a member of the Wild Magnolias for a while. And anyway, due to some legal disputes about not guaranteeing, you know, payments and all this other stuff, he basically left for legal reasons. He 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 took himself out of the Wild Magnolias, and and you know, he started you know, hell, he performed the White Eagles, the, the Flaming Arrows, and uh, and the thing about it is is the Golden Eagles, uh, but he was also the next track right there. So besides performing with the Wild Magnolias, who were the first, as I said before, the first Mardi Gras Indian tribe to really start blending different styles of music, even before the Wild Chapatulas, um, the Magnolias were first, and Monk Boudreaux was one of the ones who were there. And he also, you know, like I said, he helped set the flaming arrows to do their thing. So that's what we started off the set with was my gang. Don't bow down. And then we heard a track from Monk, Big Chief Monk Boudreaux's solo album, Won't Bow Down. We heard lightning and thunder. And once again, this is a common thread that we see here because he's pushing this electric blues thing with the, the guitar riffs and stuff. And the heavy drumming going along with the whole culture. So it's a song that was written in the Mardi Gras Indian, about the Mardi Gras Indian culture. Um, and then you even had this little section in the middle that was like hip-hop rapping, you know, where this guy comes in, he's like, Giacomo Finane is what they say. So, I mean, once again, it's like hip-hop, blues, and Mardi Gras Indian culture all wrapped up in one. Uh, so Monk Boudreaux was really pressing the envelope, pushing it further, pushing it further, pushing it further. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be pushing it into a more modern direction. You know, you, you, we can get interesting blends that aren't necessarily 
uh, in vogue. It ain't got to be just hip-hop, you know what I mean, or rap or whatever. And an example of that is what we heard last, and that's a song called Hutane. And that's one of the more traditional songs within the Mardi Gras Indian standards, the canon, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that was performed by the Donald Harrison Band with Dr. John. Now, let's talk a little bit about Donald Harrison. Because for those of you in the jazz circles, you know probably Donald Harrison as just a great, tasteful jazz saxophone player, um, you know, who's been on, on, on quite a number of, of albums, you know. He had a great uh, contemporary jazz group with fellow New Orleans trumpeter Terrence Blanchard. And uh, he joined Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers with Terrence and, and stuff like that. And he's played with Ron Carter and, you know, all these cats. Um, but there's a lot more of a deeper connection with Donald Harrison and New Orleans culture, specifically Mardi Gras Indian culture. Because you see, um, he was born to a big chief, Donald Harrison Sr. And the foundation of Donald Harrison's music comes from his lifelong participation in New Orleans culture. He, I mean, he started with, with the whole second line culture in New Orleans, and he even studied secret tribal culture under his father. Um, and even now, today, even after going off to school at Berkeley and Boston, playing with, you know, Art Blakey, Roy Haynes, all these cats, you know what I mean, Cyrus Chestnut, etc., right? Um, and hell, I mean, he even, he, he, he was like, um, like, what do you want to call it, like a mentor, you know what I mean, to so many uh, great musicians on top of that. Uh, he mentored uh, Mark Whitfield, the great guitar player, Christian McBride, and who doesn't love Christian McBride, right? Um, the no Biggie Smalls, the Notorious B.I.G. I mean, Big Papa, you know what I'm saying? Uh, along with his nephew, Christian Scott, Christian Atende Ajua Scott. Um, yeah, I mean, so th this guy's done it all. But then, but then, on top of that, Donald Harrison is also a big chief himself. That's right. Um, he is a big chief of the, I think the official name is the Congo Square Nation Afro-New Orleans Cultural Group. I think it used to be the Guardians of the Flame, but I think that's the, the new now, that's the new official title. But, um, yeah, I mean... It's just crazy. And he keeps all of these. Um, and he became a big chief, by the way, in 1999. So it's not like this just happened like a year ago or something. You know what I'm saying? So he he has his his like his group, the new sounds of Mardi Gras. And he, he keeps alive the secret traditions of Congo Square. Now, this is where you got to understand. This is where it really relates to jazz. Because jazz started with Congo Square, right? 
almost any historian will tell you that with the, the slaves getting one day a week to dance and uh, do their you know sacred customs in Congo Square. So if he is keeping alive through his Mardi Gras Indian tribe, the secrets, the secret traditions of Congo Square, then we are talking someone about someone who is basically holding the secret traditions of where jazz originated right there within a jazz musician. I mean, that's deep, y'all. It really is. And to add an exclamation point to that, in that same book that I was talking about, Talking New Orleans Music, Dr. Michael White, fantastic clarinetist and educator, talks about how Donald Harrison Jr. is a real Mardi Gras Indian and a jazz musician. His father was a chief, and his sister is a queen. His whole family is involved in that. At Xavier University, I, meaning Dr. Michael White, sponsor concerts and programs every semester on some aspects of New Orleans culture as the Keller Endowed Chair of the, in the Humanities. We just did a program featuring the music and talking about the life and contributions of Sidney Bechet. Donald played great soprano sax with my band, and it was a great program. But even then, he would come to rehearsals with material and sketches of his Indian costume. And he was working on it then. You know, that sort of thing that they say about how Indians start working the day after Mardi Gras on the suit for next year's Mardi Gras? Well, a lot of them do work year-round. I mean, that's part of their tradition. And I realize that it's not about just the idea, oh, men like to sew. What it's about is that the mindset of the Indian, proud, majestic, free, bold, rebellious, powerful, that stays with you year-round. You're making this suit that represents your heart, your spirit, your soul. And it's with you every day, wherever you go. It stays with you year-round. What becomes a mask and what becomes a reality? Reality is what's with you every day. This is how you feel inside no matter what society sees when it looks at you or your economic status, or your education level, or whatever. This is how you define yourself. This is what you are. And you reinforce those concepts by sewing every day, by meeting, by practicing throughout the year. I mean, imagine a Mardi Gras Indian practice. It's not like a jazz band. They're not learning new songs and a whole new way of playing every time. No, it's a way of reaffirming the connection and the bond. Reaffirming that status and that transformation. That type of unity and that type of freedom that comes along with that Indian persona. So, Dr. Michael White there was really echoing a lot of the things that we, we had said before, what some of the, the chiefs from the Monogram Hunters had said. And I think it's worth noting that I think we're in good hands. I think we're in good hands with Bo Dallas Jr. I think we're in good hands uh, with Donald Harrison Jr. Carrying on the tradition of these Mardi Gras Indian tribes. 
and taking it to different levels and different directions, you know, mixing with jazz, mixing with um, hip hop, mixing with blues, mixing with different kinds of funk. I mean, that's cool, you know. So, um, and that's kind of one of the things we're going to really focus on in this next segment, um, which is more of the modern takes within the Mardi Gras Indian tribes and within Mardi Gras Indian music and making that culture relevant uh, to people today in New Orleans, to young uh, black males and females in New Orleans and uh, connecting with them in a very visceral way while still holding true all the values standards and material that have been passed on from the 1800s from the Indians so I mean that that's necessarily not easy to do to blend those two things you know but as you're going to hear on these next four selections it's totally possible so don't go anywhere it's about to get real funky y'all thanks for listening here on this episode of Mardi Gras Indian Music on the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
Parkway was Tootie Montana's number one number, man. Number one song, man. You know, and you, you, I mean, Tootie would sing a little bit of it. That was his song. When he heard that song, I, I remember, man, we coming up here, we doing practice, and Tootie would be sitting at that bar right there, and practice would be up here. When they sing that song, when they were getting ready to sing that song, Tootie would leave from that bar and come up there. He would kick the song off, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't. Tootie was not a singer, but that was his favorite song. But then the song also has a meaning. Two-way parkway has a meaning. Two-way parkway means separation. You go this way, I go that way. Two-way parkway. You understand? Know we going different ways. That's what that means. But that's one of the oldest songs, man. That shallow water. My big chief got a golden crown. You know that songs that was like my big chief got a golden crown was a song that was really dedicated to the chief. It was strictly dedicated. You talking about your, in the spirit, you talking about your chief got the best crown, the golden crown, and that's your chief, you know? That was a homage song. But Two Way Bakiway was Two Way Montana's favorite number, man. I had that rifle with me. Got it on social distance. LDL, we on fire. Wild chopper tools on the bayou. Soft spy, orange wine and green. When I got to Orleans, on Esplanade, I seen a golden blade. Trying to creep up behind us. It was the yellow Pocahontas. The gold dollars junior getting closer. I said, I said, you rest a while, Magnolia. I met the golden Comanche. Then a night wall, black hatchet. It's the engine from that five plus four. When I heard Romeo, the engine was mind blown. When I seen Big Chief the Moan, the whole street moved over. Here come the Creole Osceola. Had an engine wearing crocodile. It was Big Chief Dow. Pretty big Queen Taj. Got half a uptown outside. Who is that coming at me? Beautiful Creole Apache. Had some twin spy boys not playing. It was the Red Cheyenne. Red Flame Hunter. Monogram Hunter. Hardhead Hunter. Mohawk Hunter. Black Flame Hunter. Black Hawk Hunter. Apache Hunter. Uptown Warriors. 
Creole Wild West. Fire, yeah, yeah. Fire, yeah, yeah. Wild Chabatula. Wild Chabatula. Wild Chabatula.
All right. So that is the 79ers game. And that is the track Needle Don't Lie from their album Expect the Unexpected, which I think is only on like a download basis right now. So uh, I sure hope they make that into a CD. Um, I know that you can find a lot of this stuff just on LP. You know what I mean? Uh, and once again, if you want to find cats like that, the 79ers gang, with uh, that kind of modern twist to it with Needle Don't Lie, uh, you got to go to louisianamusicfactory.com. No spaces and nothing, right? And, uh, yeah, you could check out all that info from our website, Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, totally modern group. Got to love it. Uh, before that, we heard Big Chief Pie from the Monogram Hunters on two-way pocky way and what it actually means. It means the diversion. You go that way, I'll go this way. And about how it was also Big Chief Tootie Montana's favorite number. And then we heard Flagboy Giz uh, with two-way pocky way featuring Queen L. And Flag uh, Flagboy Giz is another just inc- impressive, incredible artist out there who is really pushing the envelope, bringing in a lot of different sounds while still keeping that like that tambourine going and, and, and still talking about Two-Way Pocky Way. Uh, it comes from his album Flag Boy of the Nation. And, um, yeah, I can't say enough about Flag Boy Giz. Uh, another that is just like all download only, and I... I Please, if anybody who is connected with Flagboy Giz is, is hearing this, make make some CDs, you know, and, and, and like, you know, go with Louisiana Music Factory. Trust me, it's awesome. They'll get bought. You know what I mean? Even if it's on a, a as need basis, like small increments or whatever, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just incredible music. And then before that, we heard Get On Out The Way by the great Chawa. Uh, incredible band. Uh, they've got two albums out. This one, Get Out The Way, comes from their album Spy Boy, um, which we talked about that earlier. It's one of the um, the members, the important members of the tribe. Big Chief, Second Chief, Flag Boy, Spy Boy. So see, now we're getting into... All these other things like Flag Boy Giz and an album by Chawa Spy Boy, right? So there you go. Um, I did want to end uh, by talking about uh, this little note that's in the back of this book. I love, the, love, love, love this book, Talking New Orleans Music by Bert Feintuck. And um, it's a little lengthy, not too bad, but I'm going to read it as, as you know quickly as I can. So just hang with me and, and, and listen up close, right? So, this is a note on Mardi Gras Indians and their music. Mardi Gras Indians are an African-American carnival tradition in New Orleans, and their music is close to the heart of what makes the city's music so distinctive and important. Organized in tribes or gangs, black men, mostly working class, and increasingly women and children, mask and parade, singing and chanting in magnificent hand-sewn and beaded suits inspired by Native American garb. To sew a suit is an enormous commitment of time, creative energy, and money. 
The tradition dictates that every carnival requires a new suit. And the music which began on the streets as part of the parade tradition is anthemic in New Orleans. It's hard to imagine that anyone who lives in the city doesn't know Heipaki Way or Aiko Aiko. And putting this book together, I was fortunate enough to obtain an interview with a Mardi Gras Indian chief, but at the very last minute, in fact, as the book's copy editor was finishing his work, the chief chose to withdraw his interview. We didn't want to go to press without acknowledging and celebrating the majestic black Indian tradition and its music. Hence this note. New Orleans has perhaps 30 or 40 Mardi Gras Indian gangs organized into uptown and downtown tribes. They have names such as the White Cloud Hunters, the Wild Chapatulas, and the Yellow Pocahontas. Each gang has a chief and a member and a number of other traditional positions. Many now include a queen. Early on, encounters among parading tribes sometimes led to violent confrontations. But today, the competition is to see which chief has created the best suit, who, as the Indians say, is the prettiest. In his interview earlier in the book, Dr. Michael White speaks eloquently about the tradition and its importance. Mardi Gras Indians have a distinctive body of music, which they often chant as they parade. And in his extensive 1938 conversations with Alan Lomax, published as Mr. Jelly Roll, jazz musician Jelly Roll Morton says, Now everybody in the world has heard about the New Orleans Mardi Gras, but maybe not about the Indians one of the biggest feats that happened in Mardi Gras. Even at the parades with floats and costumes that cost millions. Why, if the folks heard the sign of the Indians, Unga High, Unga High, that big parade wouldn't have been there. The crowd would flock to see the Indians. When I was a child, meaning General Morton, I thought they were really, were Indians. They wore paint and blankets, and when they danced, one would get in the ring and throw his head back and downward, stooping over and bending his knees, making a rhythm with his heels and singing, Tuwe Bakwe, and the tribe would answer, Untande. The song Jelly Roll Sites, which Alan Lomax seems to have decided to render in French, is, of course, Tuwe Paki Way, another, way, another name for Hey Paki Way. The tradition dates at least to the late 19th century. Many Mardi Gras Indians say that it is a tribute to Native Americans who helped enslaved African Americans and with whom there was a considerable amount of intermarriage. Some Indians and other scholars also cite the influence of Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West shows, which wintered in New Orleans from 1884 to 1885 and included Native Americans in regalia. The Creole Wild West was probably the first of, it, of the gangs. It's worth pondering, too, that descendants of African slaves practice a range of carnival traditions in the New World, many of them also involving parading in elaborate costumes. Because African Americans were excluded from the crews that march in Mardi Gras celebration, black New Orleans neighborhoods developed their own celebrations, and it's here that Mardi Gras Indians began parading. 
They still parade on Mardi Gras in the neighborhoods, away from the elaborate floats and processions that many associate with Fat Tuesday in New Orleans. Indians also parade in their neighborhoods on the evening of St. Joseph's Day in March, and they hold public parades on Super Sunday, the Sunday closest to St. Joseph's Day. They are always a featured part of Jazz Fest. Tribes are hierarchical and territorial. Big Chief is the leader, responsible for sewing the most spectacular suit for leading in the singing and in general and in a general way for the well-being of his tribe. The spy boy walks ahead of the gang on the lookout for the other gangs. The flag boy sends signals from the spy to the chief. The wild man holds the crowd back. Queens and children and second and third chiefs are also part of the entourage. Spectators and supporters, second line in the street alongside the Indian processions. The music, often in a call-and-response pattern, is distinctive. Its origins are the same as a parade tradition, chanted on the streets, sometimes accompanied by percussion instruments. The roots of some of its vocabulary are disputed, with claims ranging from Native American to West African origins. And the music shows up on commercial recordings, helping reinforce the repertoire and bringing it to wider audiences. Even as early as 1927, Louis Dumain's Jazzola 8 1927 disc, Tuwa Bakawa, there's a way again, refers to the music, even if the piece itself is pretty much a standard jazz dance side. Prominent New Orleans musician and arranger Dave Bartholomew's 1950 release on Imperial, Carnival Day, includes a call out to a big chief and a number of Indian chants, including a bit of, you guessed it, to a Pocky way. In 1958, music researcher and writer Sam Charters released field recordings of Mardi Gras Indians, including a track called Tuabakawa, The Indian Race, on the Folkways label, selections of which are now available, available on Smithsonian Folkways recordings. Charter's tracks are the first publicly available documentary recordings of authentic black Amer- Indian music. In the commercial realm, Danny Barker released a number of Mardi Gras Indian songs and jazz settings on the King Zulu label, dated by various sources as having come out between 1946 and 1954. James Sugarboy Crawford released Giacomo on Checker in 1953. Twelve years later, the Dixie Cups released a version of Crawford's record calling it Ico Ico that reached number 20 on Billboard's R&B chart and a New Orleans anthem derived from Indian chant was born. In 1968, using the Dr. John persona, Mac Rebinac released Mama Roo, which contains Mardi Gras Indian references and he has continued to record and perform music from the Mardi Gras Indian repertoire. The first commercial recording of Mardi Gras Indians performing their own music dates to November 1970 when the Wild Magnolias with Bo Dallas released Honda Wanda Part 1 and 2 on Crescent City Records. That recording adds a strong dose of funk backing to the traditional music. 
It became a local dance favorite and led, in the early 1970s, to a number of albums by Big Chief Bo Dallas and the Wild Magnolias. Thanks to the Wild Magnolias records, another distinctive New Orleans sound was born, this one blending black Indian street music and funk. A 1976 release in that genre, The Wild Chapatulas, featured Big Chief George Landry. Landry was Uncle Jolly to Art, Charles, Aaron, and Cyril Neville, who are featured on the album accompanied by the Meters, who had developed a distinctive and influential New Orleans funk sound. That release, produced by Alan Toussaint, led to the formation of the Neville Brothers. It is on the Library of Congress's 2012 National Recording Registry and an annual listing of nationally significant sound recordings. And the beat goes on. Big Chief Monk Boudreau of the Golden Eagles, who performed early with the Wild Magnolias, is probably the best known performer on the music scene these days. Performing in his Indian suit, he is typically backed by funk musicians. Chief Bo Dallas Jr. has been performing some time with Boudreaux and recording lately, which we heard in this podcast. A group called Chawa features Mardi Gras Indians, Irving Honey Bannister and Jawan Boudreaux on vocals. Dr. John routinely includes Indian songs in his stage shows. And jazz historian Tom Morgan's website, tlmorgan.com, has a very helpful overview of the recorded history of Mardi Gras Indian music. You can hear some of the music where it comes from on the streets in three fine films about Mardi Gras Indians. Tootie's Last Suit, produced and directed by Lisa Katzman and released in 2009, centers on the late Tootie Montana, a deeply respected member of the Mardi Gras Indian community. Bury the Hatchet is another documentary produced and directed by Aaron Walker featuring three Indian chiefs telling the story of the tradition through their lives. And the 2014 film We Won't Bow Down, directed by Christopher Lavoie Bauer and producer Monica Cooper, uses a broader view to give a powerful portrait of the tradition of its neighborhoods and in the lives of many participants. And the Mardi Gras Indian Council, an organization of about 20 tribes, has a useful, useful website, MardiGrasIndianCouncil.org. That being said, I'd also like to add a couple of films and books to what they just mentioned there. One being... Besides Tootie's Last Suit, you can find a great documentary called Black Indians of New Orleans, uh, released originally in 1976 by Dr. Maurice Martinez, written by Dr. Maurice Martinez and directed by James Pollard Hinton. You can actually purchase this from the Louisiana Music Factory. I'd also like to mention the film Always for Pleasure, which is a film directed by Les Blank and features, besides Professor Longhair, footage, performing footage, 
performance footage of the Wild Chapatulas in their prime. And then lastly, a great uh, two last things here. One, the last video would be all on a Mardi Gras day. Uh, and then uh, a book called Let's Go Get Em by Michelle L. Elmore. E-L-M-O-R-E. And once again, uh, you can purchase all these things from LouisianaMusicFactory.com. So, that being said, we've got one last number. Uh, it's probably the most sacred number of all Indian Mardi Gras Indian songs within the standard canon of those songs. And I am going to let... Big Chief Pie of the Monogram Hunters take us out. Any Red is a spiritual song. It's never to be tampered with. I mean, if you go to practices, you hear people sing Any Red out of its context. This, they, they're saying all kinds of things, man, or, or putting all kinds of spins on it. But that's sacred. That song is never, you could touch any song. It's a song, that's, that's like the Our Father, man, of songs in Indian Nation. That's a song that you sing. You going out Mardi Gras morning, and when you, you sing that going, and before you leave, you sing that when you come back home. You know what I'm Because that song gonna get you to where you need to be with no trouble. That's like sitting down saying the owl fall on your knees, saying the owl fall. When you sing Indian Red, it's very, very, man, it's very sacred, bro. Very sacred. Mardi
up the show so hopefully well man i hope a lot of things <laughs> after this episode uh hopefully you found some songs that you dig hopefully you you were nodding your head at least once during this podcast hopefully you learned uh a little bit more maybe than what you started out with even if you did know some stuff about new orleans mardi gras indian and 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 the whole culture you know so yeah Thank you so, so much for listening. We do certainly hope that you have dug the Nevilles, Wild Chapatulas, the Wild Magnolias, Bo Dollars Jr. Uh, <laughs> man. Um, Donald Harrison, uh, the Flaming Arrows, the 101 Runners. Uh, Big Chief Monk, Boudreaux, Chawa, Flagboy Giz, the 79ers game, and the Monogram Hunters. Uh, that last song that we heard, that very deep, sacred version of My Indian Red, was by none other than Big Chief Pie of the Monogram Hunters from their album Blood, Sweat, 
in tears. It's a two CD set and it's got extensive interviews that I've shared with you on this uh, as well as very traditional Mardi Gras Indian renditions of songs from the Mardi Gras Indian musical canon, the standards that we've discussed in this podcast. So, uh, yeah, again, we are nothing without you. So thanks for your patience. Thanks for listening. Um, go buy some music, you know, help support these artists, right? Uh, LouisianaMusicFactory.com. Absolutely. Or if you have some in your local record store, absolutely do that. You know, support local if you can. And if you can't support local, then support New Orleans local. So there you go. Um, Yeah. Thanks so much again. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. Uh, It's been a pleasure from our end here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast. So until next time, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now. Because in jazz... We trust. Mighty goodie fire.